We're going to continue uh, today in 1 Corinthians, and I trust we'll probably be in 1 Corinthians for just a while. The last time we, the last time that I was up here, the three times we covered 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and so just for a very brief review, the, the letter of 1 Corinthians was addressed to believers. Uh, certainly believers in the Corinthian church and us today as believers. And it was written primarily to deal with problems in a very worldly city and a worldly church. And in chapter 1, the first problem, and the, you know, the, essentially the, the problem that we looked at in chapter 1 that, they were, that he dealt with first was division and strife. And it was caused by, um, it wasn't, so much caused by the leaders, but it was caused by people uh, following various leaders rather than following Christ. Uh, remember, the, there were people that were claiming, you know, I'm, I like Paul, and I like Peter, and I like Apollos, and some, you know, the real self-righteous one was, well, I don't like any of those guys. I only follow the Lord. And so there was division because, uh, because of that. And Paul addressed the problem mainly with uh, what I felt anyway was kind of a main theme of chapter 1, and that was just simply the lordship of Christ. As Hudson Taylor has said in the past, that uh, he is either the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so uh, we are called always to examine this in our lives, whether the, whether the Lord is truly the Lord of all in our lives or whether or whether we're trying to uh, control our own life and only, you know, only giving him select parts of our lives. Uh, it's, again, it's similar to the theme of the one, uh, I can't remember who it was who did this message, but when he, when he preached on honesty and lying, and he said, if you're honest in everything, especially in little things, then you're honest, otherwise you're not honest. If you're only honest in big things, then you're not honest. And if uh, Jesus is only Lord of some things in our lives, and he's really not the Lord of our lives at all. So that was one I, I felt was kind of a main sub-theme of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And then he went into a discussion about the excellence of God's wisdom over man's wisdom, speaking on, on how the, uh, you know, there are worldly wise people, but God's wisdom is so far above man's wisdom. And, and the way he put it was, God's foolishness, were, were there to be such a thing, God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. And so today we, we go on to chapter 2. It's kind of unfortunate. The, the chapter markings are sort of artificial divisions in the, in the Scripture. Um, even verse markings are sort of artificial uh, boundaries that are put there that weren't really there in the original. It was originally written as a letter. And sometimes chapter boundaries can can cause you trouble if you, because uh, you tend to read to the end of a chapter and then look at it, or, you're, or if you've got subheadings in your, in your Bible. I was going to mention how my wife hates subheadings in Bible. Uh, you know, even sub parts of chapters where they put little headings above it that aren't part of the scripture, but somebody decided a little heading belonged here. And uh, in general, there's just informational stuff, but 
we have found that at times you, you can find uh, people's theology coming through and what headings they put over the scripture. And so these artificial things that are in the scripture sometimes can lead you into trouble because really when you read the scripture, you're trying to find the context of things and trying to understand the context of where the scripture was written. So chapter 2 really is, you know, we, we ended at the end of chapter 1 because that's where we ended. But uh, chapter 2 is really Paul continuing on in the discussion of, uh, you know, at the end of uh, chapter 1, into talking about, uh, again, God's wisdom and man's wisdom, and he's kind of continuing on on that theme. So uh, today we're going to start reading, and today we're going to look at the, like the first five verses of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but I was just going to quickly read the whole chapter, and we'll read it again as we go on. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And there I am stopping at a chapter boundary. <laughs> Um, at the end of chapter 1, we looked at last time, like starting in verse 27, Paul had said, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So he's speaking in kind of general terms, and then he gets to chat the, the part that is marked as chapter 2, and he continues on to talk about himself now. goes on to say, and I, brethren. So now he's going to start talking about about himself again, and he's kind of going to go back and refer to something that he's already mentioned briefly in the 
in the first chapter. So in, in the first verse, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. And he had said something similar to this in, in chapter 1 and verse 17, when he said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Um, last time we had read this quote, uh, and I'll just read it again because it, uh, it, speaks, it speaks about what Paul was talking about here. He didn't want his gospel presentation to go out in the wisdom of words. And, and recall that the word wisdom that's being used throughout these verses, uh, when it, it can refer to the wisdom of God or the wisdom of man. It's the exact same word, but it's the context that it's in that dictates whether we're talking about earthly or worldly wisdom or whether we're talking about godly wisdom. Uh, when he presented the cross, meaning Paul, the doctrine of the cross, he did not want to hide it by beautiful verbiage. He would not obscure the message by human eloquence, nor weaken or dilute it in any way by charming rhetoric. He did not desire people to go away exclaiming, what a brilliant preacher, but rather, what a, or, and, or he didn't want them to be saying, what a brilliant preacher, what a splendid orator. Rather, he wanted them to go away saying, What guilty sinners we are, and how amazing is the love of God that he sent his son to die and bear the shame of the cross for our redemption. So that, again, we get to uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, I, I didn't come with excellency of speech or wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. Uh, apparently, Paul was not a very um, dynamic speaker in person. He's, he's referred to in... Uh, Second uh, Corinthians 10.10, at least what some people thought of him. You don't have to turn there, but it said, For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. So there were at least some who felt that Paul's uh, method of preaching it was, was not very, he wasn't very charismatic speech. He wasn't, you know, like a, a great preacher. But that was by design. Uh, it is, it's been said that when Jonathan Edwards gave his, what is now a famous sermon, sermon titled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that was back in the 18th century, um, he is said to have read the 14-page sermon in a level voice with his sermon book in his left hand. So he, he basically read the sermon in a monotone, uh, talking about the, the, what happens to people who are, are not repentant in, in when it comes to, when the time of judgment comes. And uh, the idea is he didn't, want, he didn't want to dilute the message in any way with any kind of fantastic, uh, uh, you know, ranting and raving. You know, some preachers will, you know, walk, 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 up and, walk, 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 walk up and down the stage and get louder and louder and stomp and yell and scream and get, get all excited. And, and, you know, that might be fine at certain times, but... Um, Jonathan Edwards didn't want to dilute the message of the gospel at all with any kind of anything, no, no fancy speech or charming rhetoric or anything. So he just read the sermon in a monotone. Um, I'm not against speakers being interesting. I, I'm just thinking that it could be very difficult to 
perhaps to sit and listen to someone who just had their, I don't think he even looked up at the, at the audience when he did it. He just held it and then read his sermon in a monotone and talked about the scripture that said this. And, and, and it, it might be difficult to listen to, but on the other hand, um, it, it really is the Spirit of God that speaks to us <laughs> through the Word. And so, uh, and, and as we see here later on, uh, we'll see it uh, in verse 4. Where Paul will talk a little bit more about this, uh, this whole idea of not wanting to try to obscure the message of the gospel by any, um, by any kind of fancy speech or anything. And so again, he had said that in verse 17 in chapter 1. He's kind of getting back into that. And then in verse 2, he goes on to say, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, interesting verse. He determined. The word determined means that he resolved. He made up his mind. Uh, he decided based on his own belief. He had firm resolve that... He was not going to know anything among them except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And now you have to think about that for a minute. I mean, if you, uh, we look at the scripture and we say, okay, how, do, how does this speak to me today? If I want to be like Paul and say, I, I'm going to determine not to know anything but Christ crucified. I mean, you have to be careful. It's he doesn't mean, you know, if your boss tells you, here's something that you have to learn to do your job, you're going to say, well, I, I can't learn about these computers because that has nothing to do with Christ crucified. And he's not, not talking about that. Um, basically, Paul didn't, he wasn't going to preach any kind of philosophical discussions or any kind of man's wisdom or anything like that, but he's going to simply stay on the, the idea of preaching uh, about the cross of Christ. And to me, that says, I see two kind of simple, but I, th I think, to me anyway, profound applications of what he meant by that, of the truth of knowing nothing but Christ crucified. Um, I believe it means that, first of all, I think it means that Paul filtered everything in his life, filtered through the truth of the gospel, every thought, every idea, everything that that was there. And there's a lot of ideas in life, especially in this day and age of the internet. I mean, there's an awful lot of information out there, most of which I probably don't want to know. But there's a lot of information out there. And he filtered everything in his life through the truth of God. Every thought, every idea measured against God's truth. Now, that's like Keith said earlier today, sometimes things are easy to say and hard to do. Most Christians probably would say, well, yeah, that sounds like a reasonable thing. We need to measure everything that we think and everything that we see and hear and do against the truth of God. Uh, and in truth, everything for the Christian should really hinge on the cross. You know, it's kind of interesting as you look out in the world, it, it's kind of, and I believe it's acceptable to the enemy of our souls to believe a lot of things about Jesus Christ. It's okay to believe that he was a great teacher. It's okay to believe that he was a nice guy. Um, it's okay to believe that he was a very charismatic leader, that he was gentle, uh, loving, and kind, and he did nice things for people. It's okay to believe all that. Yeah, I mean, it's okay to talk about Jesus if that's the kind of things that you talk about. But when it really gets down to what separates Christianity from all other religions in the world, 
It's the cross. Well, it's the cross and it's the resurrection. Um, I remember years ago, I grew up in the, uh, like in the 60s and 70s, when the, uh, some, some of the people put together these rock operas. You ever hear of Jesus Christ Superstar? Put together some rock and roll opera about Jesus Christ. And, and of course, I thought that was cool when I was a kid. I wasn't even a believer then, but I liked the music. And, uh, but that particular one ended at the cross. So, I mean, it isn't just the cross we're talking about here, but that, that, that whole story of Jesus went and it ended with him dying on the cross. And that wasn't the end of the story. So, of course, the resurrection is uh, what all of Christianity hinges on. But it's the cross, the, the, the cross of atonement and the resurrection of Christ is what all of Christianity hinges on. And so that's really what it comes down to here. And he said, I, when I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, he's talking about the crux of Christianity. Uh, I believe that it's true that every message that's preached the Bible should in some way and does in some way tie to the cross of Jesus Christ. If you, if you read through the Old Testament, um, Jesus Christ is throughout the Old Testament in type. I mean, you, you read about you know, all the things in the Old Testament, the sacrifices and the, and the animals, and, and all of those things are, are forerunners of, is trying to, to lead us along to when Christ comes. And the stories that are there, it says the Bible talks about the Old Testament being there for our example, as an example for us. Everything in the Old Testament should lead us to Jesus Christ. And once we're led to Jesus Christ, we're led to the cross and to the resurrection. I mean, without a doubt. Certainly when you get to the New Testament, a key message of the New Testament was the, was, was the cross of Christ and salvation and redemption. So obviously it's there, obviously. But even when you talk, start talking about uh, in the New Testament, when, you, when you, a message gets preached on Christian living and how we ought to live as Christians, which really, when you get into 1 Corinthians, it's really an awful lot about that. Uh, it's about dealing with some issues in the church and, and dealing with Christians and how you ought to behave yourself in the church and among believers. It's really a, a messages about Christian living. It comes back to the cross. Because uh, the whole idea of trying to live a life that's obedient to Christ and trying to do what's right, you'd ask the question, why? Why would I even care? Why would I want to do this? Well, it, it, it goes back immediately to the fact that uh, the cross is there. That Christ died and uh, rose again. He died for our sins. And those who, of course, are believers, who have accepted that, then because of that, uh, we are called to live a life that obedience to Christ. So he, I think he's saying something of, of very, uh, obviously, clearly uh, very important to the New Testament church in saying that I determined not to know anything among you except uh, Christ and him crucified. And I'm sure it's been said before, but so many, many, many times in our lives, with um, sometimes without even thinking very much about it, we judge ourselves and the things that we do. I've talked about it before up here. We've talked about, oh, just some examples in life. When we talk about romance and dating, talk about, um, oh, just things, simple things in our life by uh, the kinds of things that we read and listen to and watch. Um, even in our working life, uh, 
in our family lives, husbands and wives, in our relationships with each other. Uh, so many times we judge ourselves in these areas by the world's standards. It is so easy to do because the world's around you. <laughs> that's all we're, that, that's where we live. But you know, it's not our goal to be, to beat the world, to be, to have a higher standard than the world. I mentioned this before. The standards of the church have been steadily falling throughout the year. And we, we might still be, our standards might still be higher than the world, but the world standards have been falling too. <laughs> so, and if, we, if we're, we're here today, over here with our standards, we're still higher than the world. So we think, you know, we're very spiritual. But the standards on, on many of these areas of our life uh, are much lower than the world years ago. We, we just, uh, we just, well, we're influenced by our culture in a whole lot more ways than we ever care to uh, admit, I think. Um, I just happened, I just wasn't part of my preparation, but when uh, John brought up some uh, verses out of Titus, I happened to be looking in Titus 3, and I looked back at some verses that I had underlined in Titus chapter 2, and it kind of spoke to me of, about this point. In Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. I, I, basically, I think he's summing up what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. Um, he, he ties it immediately back to the cross of Christ and to our salvation and saying that this therefore leads us uh, very clearly into uh, how we ought to live, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts and all kinds of things. So again, our goal is to please God. And knowing nothing except Christ and him crucified, I believe one part of it is measuring everything in our lives against the scripture and not against uh, not against the people that are around us, not, not even against our fellow Christians. Um, my goal is not to be more spiritual. That reminds me of that story. You've probably all heard it, but I thought it was really cute about the two guys that were out camping and this grizzly bear comes in there. I was like, oh my word, the grizzly bear is going to get after us. And, and one guy sits down and very calmly starts putting on his tennis shoes. And the other guy says, what are you doing? You can't outrun a grizzly bear. He said, I don't have to outrun a grizzly bear. I only have to outrun you. <laughs> that's, that's not what we're about here. And so many times in our Christian walk, we think, all I got to do is be better, kind of just look around and think I'm better than just sort of mostly everybody else. That's not our goal. Our goal is to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Our goal is to please God. Uh, I think a second aspect that I see in this idea of uh, knowing Christ and, and only him and him crucified, I think he's talking to the Corinthians about uh, dealing 
specifically with their needs and not their wants. I've, I know this has been mentioned before too, but so many times in, in sharing with the world and in dealing with the world, we can get caught up with what, uh, what, what people think they need. Now, this is a real common thing in a lot of churches nowadays, these seeker-sensitive churches. They're, they're trying to be designed towards what people's felt needs are. Well, think back to when you were an unbeliever. Did you have a clue what you really needed? If anybody had asked you what you really needed in life, what would you have come up with? It probably wouldn't have been the fact that you needed to uh, humble yourself and submit yourself to Jesus Christ and accept him as, as Lord and Savior and completely foreign to you. And so, I, again, I think Paul is getting down to the very crux of the matter, very simple, straightforward thing that what, what people really need is the gospel. That, now, there have been those in the past who have, have taken this approach and said, well, <clears throat> what people really need is the gospel, so I'm not going to go out and, you know, I'm not going to give any food to the poor or feed them because what's the full stomach in hell? These people are going to hell. We're going to preach the gospel. I'm not going to feed them. And, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's going the other way completely. I, I'm certainly not saying that, uh, that we shouldn't have benevolent ministries where we're out trying to meet the needs of people, even unbelievers. I, I think the scripture would teach us that we should try to meet the needs of the, our brothers and sisters in Christ first. And then beyond that, you know, start looking at the world. There's people that, uh, that we can reach out to. And, and many times we can, uh, we can reach out to them and, and eventually lead them to Christ by showing them love. So I, I'm certainly not saying that all you do is preach to people and you don't, you know, if they have a need, you don't help them at all. But, but again, like, like anything in life, you can go to either extreme on that one. And it's, it's really the extremes that I think are wrong. Um, you can get into the, uh, the, the modern day, you know, the real, um, oh, what's the word? I just want to drain damage. Um, a, a real socially oriented gospel where all we're concerned about is meeting people's physical needs. And that's all it is, is, you know, we're just going to do nice things for people. That's on one extreme. The other extreme is the one I told you about where, you know, the old, well, what good's a full stomach in hell mentality? I'm not going to feed people because they're just going to die. They're dying and going to hell. So what good is it? Um, that's, that's clearly the, uh, uh, the extremes. But again, I think that's... So, so I saw those two aspects in his statement that said, I, I'm determined, I have resolved. Uh, it reminds me of Daniel when he, when he says he, he purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to defile himself. I would, I would say that this probably is the same kind of meaning. He purposed in his heart that that's what he's going to do, is know Christ only and him crucified. And there's a lot of verses uh, in that, that talk about similar kinds of things. I had some noted here, but I, um, I'm not going to go through them right now. He goes on into verse 3 and says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Um, the word weakness here means of strength, an inability to produce results through the flesh. And... This speaks to me because, uh, again, without hardly even knowing it so many times in life, we, everything we, we do is to try to handle all of our problems ourselves. It hit me when we were reading the story of the, the lady with the issue of blood. She'd spent all of her money 
trying to get help from doctors. And I'm not saying that that was wrong, but that tends to be the way we work. You know, everything is in our flesh. We're all trying in the flesh, and it's only kind of as a last resort we go, oh, shoot, maybe I should pray. <laughs> um, I think Paul has come to that point where he said, I'm not going to do anything here in, in my own strength because it's not through my own strength that the gospel is going to get out. Uh, fear, I think this word fear here is interesting, and I think what's meant here is Paul had, he was afraid of himself lest he should mismanage the trust that God had given him. Uh, he, had, he had been called as an apostle. He had been called as a man who to reach out to these churches, to plant these churches, and to minister to these churches. And he didn't want to uh, mismanage that. He's in a position of leadership, and a position of much authority in these churches. And I believe that's the fear that he had. I don't think that Paul was particularly afraid of anyone, and being afraid of being confronted in circumstances. And you find, when you read about all the things that happened to him in his life, oh, I'm sure perhaps he felt fear at times, but he, he lived boldly for Christ. So I don't think it's talking about he's walking around being afraid that somebody was going to laugh at him or, you know, or, or whatever. But I think he was afraid of his own flesh and afraid of mismanaging what God had called him to do. And then the word trembling um, describes the anxiety of someone who distrusts his own ability completely to meet all requirements, but religiously does his utmost to fulfill his duty. Looking up in the, uh, you know, like the vines... Uh, Dictionary of the Greek uh, description of the word. So again, someone who doesn't trust in their own ability to do it. There's an old saying that um, I think is true. This isn't scripture, but it said, uh, whenever we're doing something for the Lord, you should work as if everything depends on you and pray as if everything depends on God. Now, I, get, I think about that. I don't know, maybe that's heresy, but it seems to me like when God calls us to something, he, he asks us, you know, there's a certain part of it that we have to do. You know, it's, this isn't just sitting on the couch praying, God, why don't you just go out and take care of everything uh, in, in the whole world. Um, he, he does call us to do things. So you, you, should, you should be out there. We should be doing the work as if it depends on us, working hard, but realizing that it really doesn't depend on our flesh. It depends on the Spirit of God, and we should be praying Having and, and letting God lead us through, and and uh, I think that's, I think that's where Paul had gotten to when he's, he certainly was a bold preacher, and he certainly had results when he preached, but he in the flesh he wasn't much to wasn't much to look at apparently, and wasn't much of a speaker. Okay, in verse four he say, he gets down and says, "In my speech, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom." but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now, the word enticing there means persuasive. He was not out there trying to use man's wisdom to persuade people about the gospel. Now, it's interesting. You might think, uh, well, okay, so he, he wasn't really... You might misread that and say he wasn't trying to persuade people. That's not what it's saying. Um, Acts 19.8 as a counterexample of that, says, And he went into the synagogue, Paul, and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So he certainly was out disputing. Disputing means uh, arguing, but arguing in the sense of you know, debate, you know, trying, you know, 
trying logical debate kind of things and trying to present the uh, information to people and, and, and having them respond and then dealing with their responses, you know, like the rebuttals of debates, those kinds of things. So he was disputing and debating and trying to persuade people, but, but his persuasion, going back to verse 2, was, was based on the preaching of the cross. Now, it doesn't take very long of reading the scripture to get, you get to some very interesting and very deep kinds of questions. You know the kinds of questions I'm talking about. The things like, uh, and, and specifically one here, you might say, well, how much, if I'm out there sharing the gospel with people, how much of this is dependent upon me being persuasive and how much of it is dependent on God drawing people? You know the old question about, you start getting into the issue of, of election, you know, the election of the saints and uh, predetermination. And you start getting into all these heavy issues and, and people go to wild means of, you got the people who say, well, you know, God, God has chosen all those who are going to be saved and he's elected them and predetermined them and there's nothing you can do about it. So, you know, they get to the point where they say, well, why, why even go out there and share the gospel with anybody? Because it's all been predetermined anyway. And then you get to the people that are on the other end where they say, well, everything in the world depends on my free will. I mean, God can't do anything that I don't choose. And, and I, I think I, I tend to lean a little towards this end than the free will. I, I know that there's free will. God has given us free will. There, and there's a lot of questions that come up like this. That, and, and I think one is right here. You know, he's talking about uh, using enticing words of man's wisdom. And, and yet, and try to persuade people. And, and you can get yourself all bent out of shape in asking these kinds of questions. Well, how, how much am I supposed to, you know, I know I'm supposed to pray and I'm supposed to share the gospel, but how much is this is dependent on me and how much is dependent on God? And there are a lot of those questions where you can't close the gap. The truth is up here somewhere and we're down here somewhere. And as long as we're in the flesh, have godly people on both sides of the issue that are going to argue from both ends of that, and you you may not be able to ever get to full understanding on this. But I think in those situations, you need to back off and say, well, what does God requiring me to do here? Does, does God call me to go out and share my faith with people? Does God call me to be obedient? Does God call me to believe in the gospel? Because some people would say, well, it's all been predetermined. If you've been elected, you're going to get saved whether you like it or not. And but the bottom line is, when the gospel is presented, we're told in the scripture to believe it. Whether I believe it of my free will or not is really of no matter. It still comes down to the point where I have a responsibility to believe it, so I better. And when I, am I supposed to share the gospel with people? Well, yes, I, I believe that I am supposed to share the gospel with, with people, and so I should just do that and then leave the rest of it up to God. So you can get into these, uh, you know, these discussions and these issues and, and, uh, there's a scripture somewhere, just thought of it, where it talks about how you're not supposed to get caught up in endless genealogies and endless discussions that just lead to strife and that kind of stuff. You know, within the Christian community, you can get, you can find an awful lot of that going on. People discussing lots of these questions like that. And well, what about, and it's not, it's not wrong to discuss it, but we're not supposed to get caught up in that uh, to the point where it makes us just go, oh, I don't know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The scripture says that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel, and so we should. I believe about Paul, um, I think this is Matthew Henry who said that he preached the truths of Christ 
in their native dress with plainness of speech. He laid down the doctrine as the Spirit delivered it and left the Spirit by his eternal operation in signs and miracles and his internal influences on the heart of men to demonstrate the truth of it and procure its reception, i.e. cause people to receive it. So the whole point was, uh, this was Paul's response to some of those issues of, well, you know, there's some deep questions out there and I can't answer them all. But the bottom line is I'm called as an, as an apostle. I'm called as a follower of Christ to share the gospel and I'm just going to go out and do it. And I'm going to do it very plainly. I'm going to lay out the truth and let the Spirit of God speak to people and deal with people. And I think that that is a, uh, is a real, um, it's a basic truth and a real simple truth, but I think that's what he's talking about here. Um, and verse 5, this is really gets down to the whole purpose of all this. He says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that should be true for all of us. Uh, saved, unsaved people need to come to a point where their faith is in Christ and in the power of God and not in the wisdom or arguments of men. You know, I don't believe that you can argue someone into heaven. I believe it's our place in life to share the gospel. And, and there may be discussions that you get involved with. You know, it's uh, th that word dispute in Acts. Disputing, not, not arguing and fighting with people, but dealing with people's comments and trying to deal with their issues. You can tell whether somebody really wants to know or not. I've, I've spent some time talking with a guy at work and... and uh, He's real, really viciously anti-God and anti-anything that has to do with Christianity. And started trying to deal with some issues with him. I tried to, tried to do some of this dispute. You could tell very quickly that you couldn't even get one point dealt with and you're trying to deal with it. And then he'd bring off on another one and another one and another one. And I just sort of dropped it. I, I try to remember to pray for that guy. I wish I could say I'd do it every day. But I try to remember to pray for him because uh, I don't think he's at a point where he really wants to know. But some people are. And so that's something that we, but, you, but you're not going to argue people into heaven. Um, it's the Spirit of God that's going to do the work, but I do believe that we're called to share our faith with people. I've heard it said years ago, and I believe this is true, that, we, that you and I are not called to be soul winners. We're called to be witnesses. Now, you and I, believe it or not, can't save souls but we can witness to people of the truth of the gospel. And that's what we're called to do, is to be uh, witnesses. And then we let the Spirit of God do the soul winning. Okay, so, you know, we're in 1 Corinthians, and I, you know, if I, if I had just been asked to teach and said, well, just pick anything you want to teach on, I probably wouldn't have picked 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Not, not because it's bad or you know, anything, it's just, but, but sometimes I get to scriptures like this and you just kind of read through them and you go, oh yeah, okay, that's nice. But it didn't really jump out at me until I started reading this over and over and over again. And, and I typically started asking myself the question, well, why? Why is this here? Why is this scripture here? And what does it mean to us? Um, and it may mean a number of things. And, and obviously the Spirit of God speaks to all of us. And so he may be speaking to you in a certain way that I might not even be thinking that he might be. But I think at the end of chapter 1, when he starts talking about um, God's wisdom versus man's wisdom, 
and trying not to preach the gospel with, uh, you know, in, in, in ways that, you know, all this charming rhetoric and this very charismatic speech, but trying to just present the gospel. I think it's boiling down to the, uh, the fact that Paul is trying to show us how much this whole aspect of Christianity is not about us. It's about God. It's about God and the power of God and the Spirit of God. Yes, we have some responsibilities, but it is the power of God that is going to reach people. It's the Spirit of God that's going to reach. It's the power of God that saved you and I, if indeed we're saved. I can't tell you whether you're saved or not. The Scripture can, but I can't. But it's the power of God that did that. It's not ourselves. It's not anything in ourselves. It's the power of God that keeps us. And I, I've been thinking more about that as the years go by. Um, I was raised in a real works-oriented kind of church where everything, a lot, of, a lot of things depended on you. You had to do this and you had to do that. And, and if you were walking along and you did this certain thing, all of a sudden you're, you know, commit a mortal sin and you're going to go to hell. You know, so you could lose your salvation in a minute and then you had to run off to a, a priest and confess it and then you could be back on the road to heaven. And then if you walked out two minutes later, you commit a mortal sin and you could... I mean, it was real. Everything was works-oriented. And I'm getting, uh, as the years go by, I'm realizing more and more how much this isn't about me. How much, yes, God called me to believe, and so I believed. Whether, whether I was elected from the time before time began and whether God decided I was going to be a Christian and I had no choice in the matter or not, it sure seemed like I did, and the Spirit told me to believe, and so I did. And, and that's, that's what it's about. And I think one of the key parts of the scriptures that we talked about today is in verse 2, where Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so I guess to get to the end of the day, I think it's important always, whenever we're looking at the scripture, to ask the question, what does that mean to me? Okay, so what, is, what am I going to do about this? Is there, is there something here that God wants me to, um, God wants me to do? And so I'm going to ask you, to think about that, to think about how much of your life, and I have to think about it for myself, how much of my life, and how much of my life and my witness is based on human wisdom, and how much of it is really dependent on, on the power of God and the Spirit of God, and is done in weakness and fear and trembling. And I always struggle with this because when you when you speak in generalities, even when I talk to myself in generalities, it's a lot easier to do. It's kind of like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, you know, yeah, I really uh, I really do need to base my life on godly wisdom instead of human wisdom. Okay, what's for lunch? You know, it, it's kind of like it's it's easy to think in generalities, but I, I think God wants to deal with each one of us in specifics, and I think He does deal in specific areas of our life, and so. I, I believe that if you pray and ask the Lord, he'll, he'll show you areas of your life that he wants you to deal with. Well, you know, what are areas of my life that I am, you know, am I truly filtering everything through the scripture? There, there, there may be certain areas of my life where I'm behaving in a certain way or I'm believing a certain thing. You know, there are things that I'm doing where am, am I, have I really taken this to the scripture and taken it to the Lord? And, uh, I was going to read just a little bit out of Ironsides. Uh, I thought it was good. I thought he said it better than I could of some of these kinds of things. He says, 
and this is, you know, in one particular area of, a light, of life, he says, in the light of the cross, how can men still go on doing the things, living in the sins that led to it? All of our sins that led to the cross, how can we continue to live in those things that led to the cross, in the light of the cross? The cross of Christ is that which casts light on everything that men glory in in this world and stains all its glory, so that the apostle, so that the apostle could say elsewhere, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That's Galatians 6.14. Did you ever think of it in this way? You profess to be a Christian. You say that you owe every, everything for eternity to the one whom the world rejected. What effect does that have upon your life? Do you still have fellowship with the world that cast him out? Do you still participate in the things that characterize that world? A Christian walked down the street one day intending to go to the theater. Something was on that he thought he would be interested in. He came to the very entrance and even stepped up and bought his ticket. And the next moment there came flashing into his mind, if I go in there, I crucify the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. He tore the ticket up and ran from the place, thankful to be delivered. If you and I, as a Christian, go back into the things of the world from which the death of Christ has separated us, uh, we are denying the cross of Christ. That's what it means. If we understood this, what a separated people we would be. How it would do away with all this dilly-dallying with the world and its folly. How we would realize that we owe too much to the one whom the world rejected to go on with that system which has thus treated the eternal lover of our souls, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. Um, that, uh, that spoke a lot to me because uh, I find, uh, I guess, dilly-dallying with the world. There's too much of it going on in my own personal life. And, uh, I think today, I think the scriptures that we've read, that's where, it, for me anyway, it brings me to that question is, are we really determining to know nothing in the world except Christ and him crucified? Are we really filtering everything that we deal with in the world through the truth of God, filtering it back to the cross of Christ? And, uh, so let me ask each of us, to, as the Lord brings it to our minds, to think about that, to pray about that. Ask God to help us, to speak to us. And, uh, and then, I'm speaking to myself too, and then when the Lord speaks to us, it's up to us to respond. Um, it's easy to say that I believe something, but when faced with the issues, it's a lot harder to, to act, to really truly have that as a conviction or a belief. So that's, uh, I guess that's where I am today, is uh, saying that this Scripture is calling all of us to examine that in our lives. Are we really, are we really knowing nothing except Christ in Him? Let's pray.